Welcome to episode 230. I'm Stuart McCullough. I'm the CEO of VHAA. And joining me for this week's discussion is Senior Workplace Relations Consultant, Daniel Pullen. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you, Stuart. Daniel, I've got some footage. It's in three parts. Let's see the first part now. Daniel, for the benefit of those people who are uh, listening to this podcast rather than watching, how would you describe what it is you've just seen? So this is uh, the Antwerp Ant Stomping Festival. Um, so it's footage from from that festival where um, mostly young folk uh, dance around uh, stomping on ants that are on the ground, hence the name of the city Antwerp. That's a, that's a very bold and elaborate guess. Let's see the uh, second piece of footage. So having described what it is that you've seen, uh, any preliminary thoughts as to what you think the subject might be? Look, I'm gonna, I, I know that there's a third clue. I'm going to use that opportunity to have a crack after the clue two. I'm going to say so, it's got to be music therapy. So you are keeping your pattern dry, but you're also making a guess at the same time. I am, uh, and just yeah. for the record, I'm just going to say music therapy is tragically wrong. Uh, let's okay. see the third and final piece of footage. Daniel, based on what you've seen, what would you say that the subject for today's discussion is? Look, if it's not music therapy, going by what I'm seeing, it has to be lived experienced workers. Uh, Daniel, you couldn't be more wrong. I'll just give a little bit of context to the, the people there on the screen that you saw. That's the Maruduck Dance and Community Theatre Ensemble. Uh, and that's just a performance of theirs. It has nothing to do with today's subject, which is um, clinical support time, but it's just a really fantastic piece of music and I thought you would enjoy it. But moving on to clinical support time there at clause 18 of the medical um, specialists agreement, which is yet to go out to ballot, but we're just doing these uh, podcasts really in preparation. Um, the first thing I want to uh, ask Daniel, in terms of clinical support time, that's not a new entitlement. It's not at all. Uh, members would recall that uh, it's an existing entitlement, but there have been some changes for the clinical support time entitlement from the current agreement. So today we're going to go through the new term uh, and compare it with the old term to identify those differences and highlight them. Uh, but given that this is our first podcast for the new uh, medical specialist agreement uh, in this round of bargaining, why start with clinical support time? There's two reasons. Um, firstly, we want to highlight changes, as you mentioned, um, but particularly with respect to fractionals working minimal hours, which was a topic of uh, contention during the life of the current agreement. And what's the second reason? So when the subject of clinical support time is uh, is brought up in bargaining, it's often accompanied by concerns about whether it's whether or not the entitlement is being administered correctly. Uh, and those concerns may be because the clause hasn't been sufficiently clear uh, or possibly fit for purpose. Or also it may be that the people are sufficiently aware of the obligations uh, under that term. And we're keen to make sure that members uh, are aware of the compliance obligations, obviously. Um, you used a term before, fit for purpose. What did you mean by fit for purpose? 
So with enterprise agreements, it's common for there to be a provision that has broad application. Uh, and whilst it can be applied to most people, there are some to whom it's difficult or even impossible to apply. So we'll, we'll return to that fit for purpose uh, question in just a moment as it's relevant to some of the changes that have been made to the term. Um, clinical support time uh, is clause 18 of the 2018 Medical Specialists Agreement. Daniel, where will members find it in the 2022 agreement? We've kept it at clause 18. Uh, and one of the things we've tried to do uh, is keep things where they were. Uh, and I think we've done that pretty successfully, um, partly for ease of reference uh, and partly for time. You mentioned time. So just on the on that issue, how did the parties go in this round in terms of time? So members might recall uh, that during the previous round, there was significant delay. Uh, uh, how, and, significant, and how significant was that delay? Yeah, so the 2013 Medical Specialist Agreement expired on the 30th of March 2017. Uh, heads of agreement wasn't reached until just prior to Christmas that year. So that was nine months after the nominal expiry date was reached. And the agreement commenced operating on the 7th of August of 2018, which is nearly 18 months uh, from the nominal expiry date. Uh, but that was last time. What about this time? So the nominal expiry date for the current agreement uh, was 31 December 2021. Uh, and the parties concluded their negotiations before then. Um, that is, they finished bargaining before the nominal expiry date. Why such a big difference? So I think it's safe to say that both parties worked to achieve that outcome. I and mean, I think when we started our bargaining, we set out to achieve that goal. Um, both ourselves and the AMA did work extremely hard in collaborating and getting done what needed to be done within that time frame that was set. Uh, and members, it has to be said, strongly supported that process with a high level of engagement and participation. Uh, what's happened since? So one of the difficulties that that happens when you set a uh, an end date or a finish line just before Christmas is there is a bit of a lull after Christmas. But since then, the parties did need government approval for the heads of agreement, uh, which we've obtained, and then we had to draft both the medical specialists and the doctors in training agreements. And is drafting at an end? It is. So uh, mid this month, being mid-August, the draft agreements were submitted to government for approval, and after which we'll be moving to ballot and then lodging it with the Fair Work Commission, both for approval. Let's go back to uh, Clause 18 then, uh, clinical support time. The first thing that jumps out uh, is that it begins with a, a note. So we'll bring that up on screen now. Daniel, can you uh, take us through the note? I can. So um, on screen, you can see that this statement is not new. You'll actually find these terms or these words at clause, subclause six of the 2018 agreement, but it really is key to the term. So it's been placed right at the top. And that is the actual quantum of clinical support time allocated to an individual doctor is to be agreed locally between the doctor and the health service having regard to this clause. Uh, for me, that statement emphasizes that there's an individual entitlement agreed at the local level. And what that means for members is that they need to be satisfied that they have a process through which that there's an agreed allocation and that that agreed allocation is documented. So take us then to the first subclause. So subclause one has three parts. Uh, the first part, part A, provides as follows, and those that are watching can see this on screen. Um, so it's titled allocation of clinical support time. It provides that doctors will be entitled to devote 20% of their normal weekly hours to clinical support duties. Agreement as to the actual proportion of such allocation will be determined at the commencement of employment and or as part of annual work performance plan slash performance review process. 
Such agreements shall be consistent with specialist medical college guidelines where applicable. So just that one subclause, there's a few elements to that uh, as such, the first of which is quantum. Yes, so a doctor is entitled to devote 20% of their normal weekly hours to clinical support duties. The second element is that it's stated that the actual proportion is determined at the commencement of employment or as part of the annual work plan performance review process. And that goes to the point as, of, as to ensuring that there's an established process to, to ensure that such allocation is made and is agreed. Um, the reference there to the Specialist Medical College guidelines, Daniel. There is, uh, and look, specialist medical colleges have guidelines which are relevant. Um, so coming to the issue of what's changed, what's different here? So for this subclause, nothing has changed. It's exactly the same as it was under the previous agreement. And so whilst doctors have a 20% entitlement, uh, it's different for unit heads? That's correct. So subclause B provides as follows that unit heads and above with management roles will be provided with a minimum 50% clinical support time allocation. So 50% for unit heads, what's changed? Again, nothing. 50% um, for unit heads is as it was under the previous agreement. So the first two subclauses uh, are clear. They set out entitlements to 20% and 50% or more in the case of unit heads and above with management roles. Subclause C, really deals with agreeing to something other than the full entitlement. It does, and it provides as follows. That subject to the locally agreed arrangement, a doctor and a health service can agree to a proportion of normal weekly hours for clinical support duties less than 20%, and then in brackets, or 50% for a unit head and above with management roles, of the doctor's normal weekly hours. So this is a term that is a little bit different. It is, uh, and the parties have sought to make clearer the role that that uh, component of agreement plays. Uh, let's do a little bit of a comparison. What did the previous term provide? So on screen, members will see that the previous term stated that the actual quantum of clinical support time allocated to an individual doctor is to be agreed locally between the doctor and the health service having regard to the above. So that term makes it clear that there can be agreement. It does, and whereas the new term makes it clear that the local agreement can be for less than the full entitlement. So why is that important? So the needs of doctors vary significantly. There are some doctors who, because of the work they do, need every minute of available clinical support time. Uh, but similarly, some don't require as much time because of the type of work they do and the type of work uh, that they want to do. That's correct, and when we talk about this, some surgeons are often given as examples. Uh, not all, but some. Uh, but bearing in mind that clinical support time is underpinned by agreement with an individual doctor and the needs of individual doctors vary. On that issue, the new agreement uh, does have a significant change with respect to fractional doctors. It does. And the issue of the entitlement of fractional doctors working minimal hours, and that's long been a source of tension. So the new agreement seeks to provide greater clarity. So let's get the uh, old term up on screen. You'll see that there, uh, it was 18.5. In cases where fractional doctors working minimal hours in the public sector are directed in writing not to perform any clinical support duties, such a proportion of time for non-clinical activity may not be allocated. Um, Subclause two of the new clause 18 is solely concerned with fractional doctors uh, working minimal hours. It has three elements. 
That's correct. And the first, first of those is at 18.2a, which provides as follows on the screen. It's titled Fractional Doctors Working Minimal Hours, and it provides that in cases where the health service has deemed the fractional doctor to be working minimal hours, the health service is to use the template letter in Appendix A to direct the fractional doctor in writing not to perform any clinical support duties, and that such a proportion of time for non-clinical activity may not be allocated. So in practical terms, Daniel, what does that do? So in the first instance, it's very much about what it doesn't do. It doesn't define minimal hours by way of a number. The health service can determine that, but that's very much connected to the second element. And what is that second element? A direct connection between clinical support time and clinical support duties. So based on the idea that there's no point allocating time for clinical support duties if clinical support duties aren't required to be performed. Exactly, and bearing in mind that this could be part or, or, or the entire entitlement. You made a point before, Daniel, about minimal hours not being defined. Why not? So it goes back to that point that we made before. So different doctors have different needs. A doctor might work a small number of hours as part of their fractional appointment, but the nature of their work may be such uh, that means that clinical support duties are required to be performed, and those people are not excluded from this entitlement. And conversely, those who might work uh, more hours uh, than that other person might be deemed to be working minimal hours and be directed not to do that work. It's not uncommon, though, is it, for a health service to put a number on minimal hours? It's not uncommon, and it's not entirely unhelpful to determine whether there should be an allocation of clinical support time, but it does come back to that individual nature of the entitlement. Uh, meaning that if somebody does have a general rule, there needs to be an acceptance that there can be exceptions to that general rule. Yeah, that's correct. And, and that would be based on the work required to be performed by the individual doctor. So take us to the um, to the second element of subclause two. So it provides that uh, health services to consider the individual circumstances, such as the current duties and responsibilities when determining whether the fractional doctor is working minimal hours. Which is really what we've been saying, um, considering the individual circumstances. That's correct, and it clearly connects back to the work performed. Um, subclause C provides that despite the above, where the fractional doctor is required to perform ad hoc non-clinical activities by way of example, uh, yearly mandatory training, a quantum of paid clinical support time for a fixed period may be agreed between the doctor and the chief medical officer, following discussions with the head of unit to facilitate the performance and payment for, the, for these ad hoc non-clinical activities. So for me, this is a really good example of that fit for purpose principle that you described before. It's a recognition that clinical duties, clinical support duties uh, may not be regular, but they may still sometimes be required to be performed. And that needs an allocation of time. That's correct. And it has a strong objective of ensuring that clinical support duties are given paid time to be completed. Uh, and to paraphrase that, they can't be left to unpaid time. Um, but that brings us to the most obvious of questions. What are clinical support duties? So these have been redrafted at subclause three, but provide for the same effect. So there are four subclauses. Um, let's go over, over each in turn. So subclause A provides as follows, and it's titled Forms of Clinical Support Duties. The clinical support duties are duties which are agreed by the employer to be performed by the doctor and involve non-direct patient care 
and are important to the performance of a doctor in public health services to support specific aspects of its operation and to support the operations of the unit and the health service, quality improvement activities, the maintenance of a doctor's skills and new skill development, and contribution to teaching and education of medical staff and other health professionals. So I see that that reference to agreed to be performed, that agreement is a key component. And this subclause A really goes to the character of clinical support duties, non-direct patient care to support aspects of the health services operation. And it includes activities uh, about running the unit, uh, quality improvement, skill development, as well as teaching and educating. That's correct. Um, so now moving to subclause B, uh, it provides examples of clinical support duties. Uh, and it provides that indicative examples of clinical support duties include administration, attendance at departmental or health service meetings, uh, other than clinical meetings focused on patients, and meetings of the medical staff group when related to health service business, uh, CME, CPD, and the maintenance of professional standards, quality assurance, research other than clinical research, audit and participation in quality assurance activities as required by the health service, postgraduate and undergraduate teaching activities, reasonable time spent in the collection, analysis and presentation of quality assurance data and attendance at scheduled unit or divisional audit meetings, and attendance at committees established under the ACHS guidelines and inter-unit clinical meetings such as grand rounds. So important to emphasise that these are examples only and they're not an exhaustive menu. That's correct, but it gives a strong sense of the kinds of activities that are covered, professional development, quality, teaching and unit activities. Um, Daniel, subclause C is new. It is, uh, and it provides that a health service may give preference to clinical support duties that are required to be performed by the doctor to meet the organisation's needs. So why include that statement? Well, really, it clarifies the status quo rather than a change in the status quo. Some entitlements for doctors are within certain limits self-declared, uh, sorry, self-directed. So clinical support time, uh, by contrast, is a little bit more purpose-driven. That's correct. Um, subclause clarifies that the health service can prefer those duties that meets its needs. So given the individual nature of the entitlement, it's important that there's some view about what the health service needs uh, rather than what the individual might necessarily prefer to do. Yeah, and it's, it'll be a statement of the obvious for most, but it's worth being clear. Uh, and that brings us to the fourth element at D, that a health service may require a doctor to perform or not perform clinical support duties. However, where a doctor disputes the initial determination of the health service, a doctor may utilise the dispute resolution procedure at clause 11 of the agreement. So that's really covering off what happens if agreement can't be reached or if agreement is reached, but the allocation proves to be inadequate as against the work that is required to be performed. So we focused on the individual elements of clinical support time, such as the need to reach agreement with individual doctors, but there is a collective element as well. In a word, uh, pooling. Mm. So here, the idea is not new, but the clause has been written differently in order to provide greater clarity. That's correct. Uh, so subclause four provides as follows, and it's titled pooling of clinical support time. It provides that following consultation with the health service, doctors within a unit other than the unit head can agree to pool up to half their individual clinical support time entitlement for use by other doctors in the unit. Agreement is to be in writing and can be terminated on one month's notice by the doctor or the health service. 
So really a, a unit can move clinical support time around in the same way that it can move responsibility for, for those non-direct clinical duties around. That's correct, but the clause does require consultation with the health service. Okay. Um, Daniel, thank you for taking us through the new uh, and improved Clause 18 for the uh, for the new medical specialist agreement. I don't think there can be any better way to end this podcast than with a little bit more from the Murdoch Dance and uh, and Theatre Company and uh, and that performance that we saw before. Take it away. Mm -hmm.